All right, how's everybody doing? Good. Kiddos, you guys can get out of here. Everyone else, grab your Bibles. Go with me to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, We are back in the book of Matthew. We took a little bit of a break through Advent and then last week, but uh, today we are back. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 25 together. So uh, as we're flipping, just a couple quick things. One, um, we get to welcome some new partners this morning. Uh, We have John and Megan Childs. Y'all got to stand up. You know, oh wait, Megan's serving. See, look, she's a partner. She's already serving. So there's John. So we have another Discover Redeemer class coming up February 11th, where if you want to know anything about Redeemer, how to join Redeemer, the ministries of Redeemer, all of that will take place. Lunch, child care is provided. Um, You can sign up on the app. Secondly, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but none, or maybe not none, but most of our youth are not here this morning uh, because they're at their winter retreat. Um, So Common Ground was a retreat that a couple churches came together to pull off at Camp Twin Lakes. I think we had 15 or 16 go, uh, which is just incredible. And so uh, Xander preached yesterday morning. They're wrapping up today, so be in prayer for them. Um, Jake McMillan from Fusion is preaching probably right now to our group of students, plus there looked like there were students everywhere. So uh, be praying for them. Also, as I'm preaching, be praying for me, because I'm ready for my daughter to get home, and uh, I miss her. So if I get a little weepy, that's why. If I start yelling, that's why too, because um, men mask emotions, right? So if I feel myself getting vulnerable, I'll just get mad, all right? So there we go. Uh, last week, we did not go into the book of Matthew, though. We, we hit pause as I kind of threw out some vision for what 2024 is going to look like. And um, really, the, the, the big word that we leaned into, I'm, I'm typically not the guy that like, here's my word for the year, uh, but for Redeemer, I really want to press in for us uh, to lean into a season of help. And what I mean by that is not, not church-wide health, right? I don't want to put the cart before the horse. I don't want to, to have all these healthy systems and structures. If, if we're not healthy, then nothing else matters. And so I looked a lot about what does it look like for us as individuals to be healthy? Are we really spending time with the Lord? Are we poured into uh, him through his word? Are we going through the spiritual disciplines? Are we resting in him? Uh, because we looked at First Peter that, that we know we have a real enemy that is out to devour us. He's out to do everything he can in his power to destroy us. So individually, are we healthy? Uh, and then I looked at us as a marital unit, right? Or are we loving our spouse like Christ loved the church? Are we serving them? Because we know that this is a massive spot where Satan can come in and wreak all sorts of havoc. And, and it's nothing new. We can go all the way back to Genesis 3, where we see the first time that divisiveness was torn into and marriage, separated husband and wife, and then we, there we have a, a weak man that allows that to happen, and then sin just disintegrates into everything. And so we looked at not only individually, but what about us as a marital couple? And then last we looked at um, just us as a church that we know that Satan is out to devour us from the inside out. So are we fighting for unity? Are we fighting to forgive, to love, to serve one another? And also, are we fighting the feeling of complacency? And I shared before, my, my job in Dahlonega, I was, yes, I was a pastor, but also worked for our local Baptist association. And just while I was there, we saw 8, 10, 12 churches just close and typically what would happen when the churches would close is you would look back in the trajectory of the church and 30, 40 years before the church became to be complacent. And then that generation, once that generation died off, then it was done. 
Even this week in, and I think it was Good Hope somewhere out, somewhere in our area, I saw pop up on Facebook that uh, a church building was for sale. And my, my heart just grieves that. But, it, but it's not, it's, it's slowly but then quickly, right? We have to be sure that we're not uh, inward finally and we're not being complacent. Why? Because what, what kind of church are we leaving our kids and grandkids? That was one of the reasons. And then the other was, I mean, just think about the 20,000 plus loss within a 20-minute drive of right here. So, so if we're not individually healthy, if we're not, our families are not healthy, or if our church is not healthy, then we're not carrying out what God is asking us to do, which is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And so last week we looked at that. We spent a lot of time praying. I hope that it was a beneficial week as we have just kind of rested in what does health look like for me this year? What does health look like within our marriage? What does it look like within parenting? What is health overall? Because if, if we're all individually healthy and if our marriages are healthy, man, then the sky's the limit for what God can come in and do. That if we're leading ourselves well, leading our families well, then, then that's the recipe for God to show up and do something incredible but we cannot put the cart before the horse. We have to focus on our health and spending time with the word. Not some psycho, uh, all this kind of psycho-semantic stuff, but like just us being healthy in the word. So that was last week. I'd highly encourage you to go back and listen to that if you haven't. Now, just so you can kind of hear, we're going to keep pressing on with that this year. But, but today we're back in the book of Matthew, which I'm super excited about. Um, we do what's called expositional preaching here. So we pick a book of the Bible and we just go through it. And for a bunch of different reasons, but the primary one is we want to be people of the book. And if we want to be people of the book, then we can't skip over and pick and choose what we want to read. We've got to go through the easy stuff and the hard stuff, right? The good stuff and the stuff that makes us go, man, I don't really know what that means. And so uh, that's the reason we pick a book of the Bible. I think Matthew is about two and a half years. That's what it's going to take for us to get through from start to finish. The plan right now Lord willing, everybody say that with me, Lord willing is Easter of 2025 is when we'll wrap up Matthew so you can kind of see the slow trajectory of there. But um, what we're going to jump back into this morning is Jesus sending out his disciples and what that means for us. And so uh, one of the things that a couple months ago, I was, my wife and I were at a conference with Al Mohler. Have you, anyone ever heard of Al Mohler? Highly recommend his podcast called The Briefing. Um, the Briefing is a podcast, it's hit, comes out, it's a daily podcast, it's about 30 minutes, comes out first thing in the morning, but what he does is he takes uh, all these current events and all these news stories and then instructs us as Christians how to think through these things through a biblical worldview. So Al Mohler is the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, brilliant guy, I mean he reads like two books a day, photographic memory, just one of those once in a lifetime kind of guys, and really helps us examine uh, our world through a biblical worldview, how do we take uh, what's happening over here? How do we take this nugget? What does this mean for us as a culture? And so one of the things that he taught on was really helping us, this was a, a room full of pastors and wives, helping us as pastors and wives understand that we are truly living in a post-Christian nation. They were living in a post-Christian age, and he went through and really articulated what that means and why quantifiably he could prove that to be true. But as we started leaning in, it was very not encouraging. I mean, you think about just even the phrase post-Christian. If, if we're living post, so that means that, that we, at one point we were pre-Christian, right? That the gospel was new and fresh. And then we were Christian, right? So everyone knew, even if they didn't follow it, they at least knew the gospel truth. But now we're going to post, or you can even change that to anti 
And so his main point, his main takeaway is if we lean into this identity that not just a nation, but just big picture, we're moving into a post-Christian era. Here's a couple things that that means for us. One, that means that we cannot continue to fight to stay relevant because we're not relevant. Right? Like we don't have to worry about that is Christianity cool anymore? Because lean in, it's not. Christianity to a watching world is no longer cool or relevant or even acceptable. And we can look at this from micro versions or or macro, or we can even look at very micro levels where if I, I mean, just me as a pastor, if I walked in and sat down at a county commissioner's meeting, no one would really care, right? Like, who are you and what are you here to yell at us for? That's going to be their tone. But it wasn't that long ago, 40, 50 years, that if a pastor walked into a county commissioner meeting, everyone would stop and go, okay, let's, let's listen to what the preacher has to say. So we can even see that we've lost our relevance. We've, we've lost what it means to be Christian, to have this deal. And then just even outside of that, we can see that we're losing. I mean, we're losing votes. We're losing, I don't want to use the word power, but power. We're losing influence. All these things are taking place in our lifetime. So here's the great part. When you no longer have to worry about being cool or relevant, when you know you're just weird, then you can be weird for weird's sake. That, that you can just say, yes, I am different. And so Al Mower's big point was, hey, we're no longer relevant. We're no longer the cool guys. We don't have the influence that we think we have, so we don't have to walk on eggshells anymore. Just be weird for the sake of the gospel. And I was listening to that going, yeah, like, I, I don't know that I like that. But the more he kept talking, the more I was convinced of, yeah, I mean, there's, there's two ways we can fight at this. We can continue acting, living, walking, preaching the gospel like we're still relevant, like people still really care, or we can just be weird for weirdness' sake. So, so maybe let me take this out of a biblical example. Let me, let me give just a straight practical example. You can take college football as the easiest example. Now that season's over, uh, Michigan, Washington, all that kind of stuff. Now that the season's over, the most diehard college football fans do not care what you think about how they cheer for their team, right? I mean, you see UGA fans, grown men bark at strangers. That's weird, right? Bald-headed men paint the top of their heads. A lot of you could do that. Sorry, that was to me. That was a low blow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not going to look at this area right here. Uh, no, so, so we, we, we're weird, and we don't care that we're weird because we love our team. So in the same way, why are we not that weird for the gospel? Why do we not stand out? There's the, the core seminar, Whole in Our Holiness, is going through the idea that, that we should be holy, which means we should be set apart. We shouldn't worry about being culturally irrelevant. We shouldn't worry about any of these ideas. We should be fully set apart for the gospel, And so what Jesus is doing in this text is he's sending out his disciples to say, go proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. And if you do this, you're going to be set apart. You're going to look different. And it's going to hurt. It's going to cost you something. But at the end, it leads to deeper walk in the truth of the gospel. So Matthew 10, 16, 25, Matthew 10, excuse me. Verses 16 through 25 is where we're going to be. So if you have it, go ahead and stand with me. I want you to read together, and just remember, we're kind of hopping in a little bit of the middle of the story. 
but I will do my best to catch us up. Matthew 10, we're going to pick it up in verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, and so be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witnesses before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for you will have what you are to say and will be given to you in that hour. For it is not what you speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for all my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 24, disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like that of his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house of Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? This is the word of the Lord. God, would you open up our minds and, and help us to understand the text this morning. For the help us to understand the weight and the responsibility of it, but also the freedom that comes knowing it's not us, but Christ who speaks for us. Thank you for this time. It's your name we pray. Amen. So contextually, really quick, we have to understand where we are and what's taking place, right? So, so Jesus has been doing all these miracles. He's been teaching. Uh, I mean, there's been areas, there's been regions where it was said in scriptures that no one in this area had any sin or affliction or disease anymore. So Jesus had just come in and blown this entire area up. And so for a while, he's been saying, hey, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. But now it's time for him to say something. So he gets his 12 disciples, he brings them in, and we see at the beginning of Matthew 10, he gives them instructions. Here's what we're going to do. In Matthew 10, 7, he tells them, as you proclaim, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. So he gives these 12 disciples all the authority over diseases, over uh, demons, over anything. that They can do everything they've seen Christ do, and then he gets ready to send them out. This is almost like that leadership square. I don't know if you've guys seen it, but, but you've got the I do, you watch, I do, you help. Have y'all seen this? And then you do, I help, you do, I watch. So, so it's this way to make leaders. It's, it's like a, a paradigm, I guess you could say, of how to develop, train, and then deploy leaders. And so for disciples, for a while, they've been watching Jesus. He's been doing it. They've been watching but now we get to this scene where um, the things start to transition where Jesus is going to be watching, but they're actually going to be doing the work of the ministry. So what an exciting day. I mean, it's that day you've been waiting for where you finally get that big promotion, you're ready to go, you're excited about it, and then you read the job description and go, wait a second, this isn't what I thought was going to happen. Like, I thought I was going to be able to do what you did. I didn't think that I was going to get fed to lions. I didn't think that I was going to get flogged. I didn't think I was going to get beaten up for this, Jesus. This is not what you told me was going to happen. But we see Jesus sending them out. Now, I, I want to draw uh, maybe some contextual framework for us. Right? So it's a very dangerous thing as we're studying the scriptures to, to have a one-to-one -one causality, if that makes sense. That not everything that's spoken is a direct application to us. Does that make sense? 
Right, so, so it's one of those reasons where I think it's a really dangerous thing for us just to flip scriptures in the morning and go, here, here's my verse, I'm gonna read it. I mean, here, 1 Samuel 31. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel and the men of Israel fled. Okay, so see, Bible told me to flee, I'm gonna flee, that's what's gonna happen today, amen. Not a good way to study our scriptures, right? We, we have to really understand what's taking place. So this is not the Great Commission, Right, like this is not Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus is saying, all authority I have been given to me, now I give it to you. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That is universal. That is for all of us. But what's taking place here is a little different than that. This is a distinct mission for a distinct group of people that only the apostles got to participate in this for a short season of time. Does that make sense? Like, like maybe take it out of another example. Um, Joshua, God commanded Joshua to go kill all the Canaanites. We can't do that, right? Like, like that's, that's not a biblical principle that we can say, God told Joseph, Joshua to do this, let's get our swords, boys, and let's go kill some people. Can't, nope, can't, can't do that. Same way, what's taking place here is a little different. It's a promise for them of what's about to take place. And we see this in three different ways. That Jesus gives them apostolic authority to cast out unclean spirits and to heal every disease and affliction. Now, the same spirit of God that resides in us has the power to do that. But this is directly from Jesus in that moment for that time. Second, Jesus gives a narrow scope for the mission, which is only the lost house of Israel. So Jesus is not saying go into all the world at this time, which is what he's commanded us to do. He's saying just in the lost house of Israel, go after the Jewish people, not the Gentiles. And then third, the severity of this mission. Jesus is teaching his disciples to, to trust on, to rely on him. So that's why he says, take no money with you, take no provisions, sleep on whatever couch you can, Again, that's not our ministry philosophy. That's not what we see out of Scripture for missions, movements, or even how we live our day in, day out life. This is a specific mission for a specific moment. But what are we to learn from this? What is Jesus really actually teaching his disciples? Well, simply this. Jesus promises suffering and persecution will come if we are obedient to his call of advancing the gospel. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you actually are obedient to me and go advance the gospel, I promise you this, suffering and persecution will come. It's going to take place. But for us, does it look like the same thing that means there? Does our suffering and persecution look like that? No. But what does this mean for us this morning? It's simply this. To be like Christ is to share the gospel regardless of the consequences. But there will be consequences. So to be like Christ is to share the gospel regardless of the consequences, and there will be consequences. As we're living more in this post-Christian age, where we're no longer relevant, we're no longer cool, we're no longer really looked up to, we're pushed away on kind of the fringe of society, we're the crazy ones, we have to understand that if we're actually going to be bold and proclaim the gospel to a watching and dying world, that we will have some form of consequences. And if not, we're probably not doing it right because the gospel within itself is offensive. I mean, you think about what is the core of the gospel? It's me telling you, you are not good enough. 
that you cannot do this. On your best efforts, on your best day, it's still filthy rags. I mean, the day you think you're killing it, you're not. Because we have a holy, righteous God who has never sinned and will never sin looking at your best efforts and laughing. But that's not the end of the gospel, that's the beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel is helping people understand their sin so that then we can actually preach the good news of the gospel that Christ Jesus came to rescue sinners like us and give us a hope and a reconciliation to God the Father that we can never purchase on our own. But till sin not be bitter, it will never be sweet. Until people understand the depth and the depravity of their own soul, the gospel will never become good news. So the gospel is offensive. So for us to go into a watching world and preach the good news of the gospel, we first have to get them to see how it's painful and hurtful. But for us to see what this is talking about, the first thing we have to see is point number one. To advance the gospel means to advance into enemy territory. To advance the gospel literally means to advance into enemy territory. Look what Jesus says in verse 16. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, we have this idea of sheep all throughout Scripture, and typically people oh, sheep are so dumb, whatever. That's, that's not what's happening here. Sheep might be dumb, I don't know. Don't own one, never plan to own one. It's not my scene. Xander has a fixation on sheep. He, he can have sheep. My idea here is what Scripture is teaching us is that sheep are not dumb in this story. They're extremely vulnerable. Sheep don't have sharp teeth. Sheep aren't really carnivores. They're not act, they're seeking after meat. They're not villains. They're not the bad guys. Sheep are the vulnerable ones here. Who has the sharp teeth and eats on nothing but meat? The wolves. So Jesus is not shying away from what's about to take place. Disciples, go preach the good news of the gospel. But oh, by the way, remember, you're going to be this vulnerable, delicious animal that these ravenous wolves want to destroy. Good luck. Again, I mean, when we really slow down and read this, it's like, wait, hold on, Jesus. Uh, you want me to do what and how? But Jesus isn't mincing here. And even he keeps going. Look with me at verse 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flock you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged out before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Verse 21. Brothers will deliver brother over death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Remember, Jesus is saying, when you go out, you are nothing but a sheep in the midst of wolves. You're nothing but something that they can go after and devour. But regardless, advance means advance. Go means go. Jesus has given us the marching orders, and it's for us to go and preach the good news of the gospel. I mean, just, just think with me if you would. Tonight you get home, you sit down watching TV, and there's an interview with a couple soldiers on the TV. 
And they're talking about wartime. They're talking about the bullets flying and how their company was supposed to go take over this hostile base. But these couple soldiers on the TV are going, yeah, that's not what I signed up for. I mean, when the bullets start flying, I'm out. Like what I wanted was like beach volleyball and snacks and to get away from my parents. I didn't sign up for war. I signed up for those things. We would probably throw something at TV. Like, what are you talking about? You're a soldier. This is precisely what you signed up for, was to go to war. And then when war comes, you run and flee. We have a word for that, don't we? Coward is what I was going to say. If you were saying something harsher in your mind, repent. Coward. But in the same way, how guilty are we when we are actually sheep in the midst of wolves? How quickly do we do the cowardly thing and start to retreat? Do we not actually preach the good news of the gospel, but we go, this is a dangerous situation, I'm going to back away. I don't actually want to do any of this. But what we see throughout the epistles is just incredible stories of men and women of valor doing the hard things. Probably one of my favorite stories is Luke records in the book of Acts over in Acts 5, where Pentecost has come, the gospel is advancing like crazy, and they don't know the people, the religious and the Romans do not know what to do with the people of Christ. So they try to arrest Peter and all of his men, throw them in jail, and then Acts chapter 5 we see that the jail miraculously opens up. Now just, okay, put yourself in this situation. You're doing what Jesus has called you to do. You're preaching the good news. The Spirit has come. You're seeing thousands of people saved. You get arrested, beaten, flogged, thrown into jail because of it. Middle of the night, the jail opens up. You've got two choices. I can stay or I can run and get as far away as I can. Well, the disciples and apostles picked the middle option. They walked their little happy butts right outside of jail, straight to the temple, and kept preaching the gospel. They were not afraid of jail, and they were not going to run. They were going to do what Christ called them to do, which preach and proclaim the good news of the gospel. Because Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles answered to them as they're having to respond to what's taking place. And he said this, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we must be witnesses to these things. He's going, you can do what you want to me, but I'm not afraid of you. This is what I've been called to do. This is the marching orders from Christ, and I cannot say no. So do, do it is whatever you want, but I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. So we see Gamaliel, uh, who was one of the leaders at this time, go, no, 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 we can't start this fight with them. We've got to let them go. And so we see down in verse 41, after they were, excuse me, Acts 5, 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, how do you think that went? These apostles that seen thousands of people saved at the proclamation of the gospel, are beaten and said, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. Yeah, it ends exactly like you think it does. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching in the name of Christ Jesus. So they're beaten, they're abused, they are 
sheep in the midst of wolves that try to devour them, they can't. They say, stop doing or else, and they go, we'll choose the or else because we're more afraid of God and his judgment for us not doing what we're supposed to do than your little floggings and beatings. We're going to preach the gospel no matter what you throw at us. And that's the command that he's calling us to do. But there, there's two major issues that we have to really wrestle with. Why don't we live that way? I mean, when I read the story in Acts 5, I'm a little envious. Like, I want to be that guy that, that no one can stop from preaching the name of Jesus. I've used it before, but Paul, I mean, Paul, you couldn't stop him. I mean, they were going to arrest him, throw him into jail. He's like, okay, I'll convert all your jailmen to Christ. Okay, then just let him go. Okay, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. I'm going to kill you. Okay, to die is Christ. Okay, I'm going to let you live. Well, to live is gain. I mean, you could not stop Paul. You could never get him in a box. He was going to preach the gospel no matter what. And if you killed him, he was going to go spend eternity with Jesus. He was just as happy with that. That's the, when I read these stories, that's what I want. But, but why? Why do we not walk in this kind of freedom? Well, the first is fear. I mean, if we can be all completely honest, we are terrified to be this bold for the sake of the gospel. When Jesus says, you're going to be a sheep in the midst of wolves, now good luck, that sends a chill down our spine. We're terrified of what's to take place. But just remember, even in this passage, the provisions that Christ has already given us. In Matthew 10, 19, he says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you're to speak or what you're to say or what you'll be saying in that given hour. For it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about your provisions, I'll provide for that. Don't worry about what you're gonna say, I'll provide you with that. Don't worry about your way out, I'll provide you with that. In worst case scenario, you get to come spend eternity with me. Everything's good. Just go be obedient. We don't have to be afraid. But I think that the bigger point of this is that we've gotten way too comfortable and called this place our home. And I mentioned some of this last week because it's something I've been working through for, for my PhD work. I just finished a book called Sojourners and Exiles. And the whole premise of this book is to help the church to remember, but the church is nothing but sojourners and exiles. That this, this land will never be our home. That we should never be too comfortable here. There should always be a feeling of homesickness. We should always be, hey, while I'm here, while I'm stuck in this place, we're going to do what Christ has called us to do. But the moment he's ready to take me home, that's where I want to be. But if you're like me, most of us have a hard time saying that. Because we, we think too much of things of this world. And I'm not even saying idolatrous things. I'm saying I've got three daughters and I want to walk all of them down the aisle kind of things. I don't want to pay for it, but I want to walk all of them down the aisle. Right? Like, like that's not idolatrous. There's nothing sinful in that. But even there, I'm getting too comfortable in the presence of this earth thinking this is my home when it's not. So, so we get way too comfortable, way too excited about the things here instead of really focusing on, man, this is not our home. We're nothing but sojourners and strangers and exiles, and we are, one day will be in our home forever, but this is not it. We must advance. We must move forward. But Jesus continues, we, we have to do it. We have to go spread the gospel. But number two, we must be wise and innocent as we spread the gospel. We must be wise and innocent as we're doing this. See, Jesus says, in, again, in verse 16, Behold, 
I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Now what a strange combination of things. Right? Like what is Jesus trying to say? Be, be wise as serpents, but yet be innocent as doves. I mean, you know how many times the scriptures talk about snakes and serpents in a good way? Nada. So, so what is Jesus doing here? Why is he saying to, to preach the good news of the gospel to be like the same snake that led sin and temptation into the world? Well, if we go down that rabbit hill, that's not the, the point of the gospel here. That's not the point of the scriptures. He's not comparing this wisest serpent to the serpent we see in Genesis 3. He's saying that we have to have a combination of the two. We have to be simultaneously wise like a serpent and simultaneously innocent as a dove. So let's pick up with innocent as a dove because that makes sense to us. When you think of doves, you think of peace, of calm, of stability, or a lot of empty shotgun shells, either way. But what Jesus is saying is if you're going to go spread the gospel, do it with kindness, do it with peace, with a calming spirit. That the good news of the gospel, as you present it, should come from an innocent and loving and caring standpoint, like the peace and the presence of a dove. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So what makes us stand out as believers, as Paul is saying, is this idea of just be innocent as doves. Don't let anyone bring a charge against you. Look different. Don't act like the world. Don't behave like the world. When you've been sinned against, don't respond like the world. Let us be innocent as doves. But what about being wise as a serpent? Jesus is basically saying, know when to take your shot or not. See, if you've been around snakes at any point, you know that they're actually pretty smart creatures. And they know at what point do they lunge out and try to bite or when they kind of just retreat back into the woods, back into the leaves, back underneath their rocks. See, the scary part for me as far as snakes go is I never see them. And I know I've walked through areas where people will say, hey, watch out for snakes. That area is infested with snakes. I don't see them because that means that they're good at what they do and I'm really bad at what I'm supposed to be doing, which is looking for snakes. So what Jesus is saying is if we're going to be wise like a serpent is, there's going to be times and place for us to go for the jugular and go for the kill shot. And there's going to be times for us just to say, okay, just like we saw Xander preach a couple weeks ago, we're going to shake the dust off of our shoes and we're going to move on. These people are not people of peace. They're not ready to hear the gospel. So we're going to not retreat in a sinful way, but be in wisdom, go ahead and retreat back and go to what's next. So Jesus is telling us as we go out to advance the gospel, do it twofold. Come from an innocent standpoint, but also be wise in the way that we speak or even don't speak. We're supposed to be innocent we're supposed to either strike or slither. And so for us, even as we start wrestling through this, if Jesus is saying, hey, listen, be innocent, be ready to strike, or be rather to slither, we're even in those three categories that we need to work on. Maybe the first one is we need to grow in our innocentness. 
We need to watch the way that we act, the way that we react. I mean, I use this all the time. When we walk into restaurants, we want the people that are serving us going, praise God, my favorites are here. These are the people I like to serve. Not, I quit. Do we make people's lives miserable around us? Are we actually innocent? Do we, do we draw people in like doves do? Or do we offer peace and understanding? Or are we just jerks? I mean, can we be honest? Are we just awful to be around? That the gospel that we represent is not represented well because of our behaviors and our actions. And then some of us, maybe we can work on the innocent, but some of us as snakes, we lack the wisdom because we love to strike always. Always. I mean, we're always walking around with the trigger half cocked. We're ready to go. The moment we see any injustice, anything happening, we are ready to strike. Confrontation means nothing to us. We're ready to go at all times. But scripture says, is that really what wisdom looks like? And then there's maybe the third one that loves to slither away. And most of the time, let me be honest with you, slitherers that avoid confrontation and shy away from hard conversations, most of the time you are actually right. You have the discernment to say, man, this really doesn't matter or we're not getting anywhere, so I'm just going to have the wisdom just to slither out of this. But, and I'm only saying this because I'm a striker, so I want to, I always get the, I mean, in our marriage, I don't know if you've heard me talk about this, but in our marriage, I'm the one that's quick to speak, and my wife is the patient, calm one. So she always gets the praise for being such the saint, and I'm such the jerk, right? Anybody else have that marriage? But if she was in here, she's serving the kids. If she was, <laughs> did I miss something? Oh, yeah, yeah, y'all are. Flip that one real quick. Uh, <laughs> I forgot where I was going now because I thought you were going to come hit me because you're a striker. Um, no, so, but most of the time, and she would even admit this, I'm not talking behind her back. Most of the time when she slithers, well, not most of the time, but the majority of the time when she's slithering away, it's from not a spirit of peace, but a spirit of cowardice. That, that she knows she should say something. She knows that she could speak up to something, but it's scared and it's hard and she's worried about how it's going to be portrayed. So it's just easier just to slither away. So we all have our predispositions, right? Like, are we actually innocent? Are we way too quick to strike? Are we way too quick to slither away? We all have our predispositions, but Scripture is telling us we, we can't let that be a fault. We've got to grow in these areas. If you're the striker, settle down some and work hard to understand. That used to be my phone background for about three to four years. All it said was work at understanding. What that meant for me was ask more questions because I'm pretty quick to say that's wrong and here's why. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't going to say this, but here we go. Even this morning, as I'm praying through, I open up social media, and there's this ridiculously liberal church bulletin board post that said, even Jesus had two dads. Be fabulous. And it took all my self-control. I had this long thing typed out, and Spirit's going, you're not going to win a debate on social media. You ready to strike. This is not the time and place. Even though what I thought I had written was pretty good. I'm just to be honest. But it, but it was not the time or the place to have that conversation. Rarely is social media the time and the place to have that conversation. So which one is it? What area are we living in? Now, now here's the question that we, have to, that we have to press in just a little bit. 
Because if you're a thinker, you're already going, okay, but how do you know when to strike or slither? Like, like, what does it mean if Jesus is saying there's times where you strike and there's times that you slither away for the sake of the gospel? How do you know which one's which? If my predisposition is strike, how do I know when I should or shouldn't? Or if my predisposition is slither away, how do I know if I should or shouldn't? And John Piper writes a lot about this area because it's one that we really have to wrestle with, we have to lean into. When do you flee from danger and when do you embrace it through your witness? Now, Piper goes back to a guy named John Bunyan who wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read, read it, I would highly recommend it. I know every time I say that, most of the church rolls our eyes. Oh, there's another book the preacher's recommending. But we have them over in the book nook, and we have the kids' version. So uh, grab it, read it to your kids. If you don't have kids, read that one. It's still fantastic just to see. It's an allegory of the Christian life. I would highly recommend you leaning into it. But the reason that Piper goes back to John Bunyan is for two reasons. One, he went through major seasons of suffering, right? So he had a child that was born blind, and he had to lean into what does this mean for him and his family. But also, as he was writing the Pilgrim's Progress, he was in prison for 12 years because he would not stop preaching the gospel. It was a pretty simple deal that they made with Bunyan. Hey, if you quit preaching, we'll let you go. Let you go to your family, let you go to your wife, All you have to do is quit preaching the gospel. And for Bunyan, he said, yeah, that is a pretty simple decision. Close the bars. I'm not going anywhere. If I'm going out of this place, I'm going to preach the gospel. So here's a man that knew for himself what this balance looked like. And in 1684, he wrote a book called Advice to Sufferers. And in that, here's what he says as he tries to answer this question, what do we do? Do we strike? Do we slither? How do we know when we should be patient versus persistence? What does this balance look like as we go to advance the gospel? Remember, what I'm about to read was written in 1684, okay? Thou mayest, remember what I told you, 1684? Thou mayest do this in their heart, and if in their heart to fly, fly, If in their heart to stand, stand. Anything but a denial of the truth. He that flies has a warrant to do so. He that stands has a warrant to do so. Yes, the same man may both fly and stand as the call and working of God in his heart may be. So what he then does is he takes examples of Scripture and shows that there's times where they stand for the sake of the gospel and they also flee for the sake of peace. He says Moses fled in Exodus 2.15, but also we see in Hebrews that Moses stood. David fled in 1 Samuel 19.12, but we also see in 1 Samuel 24 that David stood. Jeremiah fled in Jeremiah 37, but we see again in Jeremiah 38 that Jeremiah stood. Christ himself withdrew in Luke 19, but then Christ stood in John 18. Paul fled in 2 Corinthians 11, but Paul also stood in Acts 20. So that should muddy the waters for us a little bit. How do we know when to stand? How do we know when to flee? Bunyan's going, the Spirit of God will reveal that to you in right time. In that moment, that's when the Spirit of God is gonna tell you that. And he goes on to say, do not fly out of slavish fear, but rather because flying is the ordinance of God, opening a door for the escape of some which doors open by God's providence and the escape of countenance by God's word. So how do we know when to speak up? How do we know when not to? That's what wisdom is. 
There's no blanket statement. There's no answer that I can give you other than continue to pray for God to give you wisdom. Continue to pray for God to not let you walk in a spirit of fear, but in a spirit of power. That as we are walking into and preaching the gospel into a growing hostile world, as we're sheep going out amongst wolves, pray in that moment, God, do I speak or do I not? And if I do speak, give me the words to speak. Nothing is going to shipwreck you sooner than trying to do any of this on your own power. You will be devoured. So depend on him for the wisdom of whether to speak or not to speak, and then depend on him for the words to say. That's what Jesus is preaching. But lastly, point number three, suffering for the sake of the gospel is the way of Christ. So again, I just want to be very clear. Christians, here's what we're signing up for. Here's what Jesus has asked us to do. Look back with me at verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master the house of Beelzebul, if they've called Jesus demonic, how much more will they malign those of his household? And honestly, this right here is one of my favorite parts of Christianity. I mean, when you start looking and examining the world religions of what takes place, this to me, take out scripture, take all these other things. Here's what I love about Christianity. No other religion has a deity that gets in the weeds and does not say, do what I say, not what I do, but actually says, no, I'm going to do everything I'm asking you to do and more. Nothing is worse than having a leader that will not do, will just stand there and boss and tell you, do this, don't do this, while they sit in their ivory tower. And Jesus is not that leader. He's saying, listen, if they're going to do this to me, how much more are they going to do this to you? But I will not cower in fear, and therefore you do not cower in fear. We have a God that sent his one and only son to model for us what it means to be a sheep among wolves. That we don't have to look any outside externality of ideas. We don't have to reconstitute anything else. All we have to do is look at the scripture that he has given us and follow after his Example. So what then do we do? What are we supposed to do here? When things get hard, when we actually speak out and say the good news of the gospel, what then do we do? We look only to Christ. We look at the perfection that he has set before us, how he chose to address and not chose to address. I mean, all throughout the book of Matthew, we're going to keep studying where Jesus is running hard into the Pharisees over and over and over again. And these same Pharisees, the one that actually led him to death, and in that moment, there's times where he just gets them. You brood of vipers. But then there's times where he just lets it go. He withdraws. He spends time in prayer, we look hard at what he's asked us to do. Because if Jesus was not held to different standards, neither should we. If God did not spare Jesus of this, then he's not going to spare us of this. This is what he's called us to do. It's how we grow deeper and deeper and bolder in the sake of the gospel. And so for us then, as we begin to land the plane a little bit this morning... Where are we? Because, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Where we are as a country, and before I was broadly speaking, now where we are as a country, 
We can trace back to the church being silent when we should have been loud. We can trace back to we should have had these conversations. We shouldn't have been over here minoring on the minors while the sexual moral revolution were taking hold over here. We should not be of inward fighting over the color of carpets when the world is literally changing outside of our doors. See, one of the, one of the craziest things, let me chase a rabbit real quick. One of the craziest things to me, just because I'm a millennial, I don't know if you know that, but when I get antagonized for being a millennial by boomers, my head just kind of explodes a little bit. Like, you were the one that raised us. You were the ones that gave us the trophy. Like, like what, what was I supposed to do? I mean, put a cigarette in my mouth at six and go, I don't take no participation trophies. Like, I, I don't know what I was supposed to do. But in the same way, when we talk about the gospel, we get so frustrated at the world, but we have to look at us. We were the ones a generation ago not being harsh on the sexual moral revolution, and then here we are. It was our ancestors. It was the hard conversations that we didn't have, our forefathers. And to choose to believe the best, we probably didn't see it clearly at the time. No one could have fathomed what was taking place. But now we get to the day where this was not a church sharing this. This was a news organization sharing the goodness, how great it is that Jesus had two fathers. God, help us. What are we living in? And at the same breath, I thought you said God was non-binary, so now you're misgendering, so you're the racist, right? Like, where do we even go with that? That was going to be in my thing. I didn't put it in there. But, but, but what, are we even, what are we doing? But the reality is, We've got to look at us, not the world. Are we innocent? Are we representing the gospel well? Are we realizing this home is not our home, but we have to preach boldly the gospel where we go? And we have to be wise to know this is the time where we speak up and this is the time where we just love. This is the time where we preach the gospel regardless of the consequences that are coming our way, and this is a time where we just sit and mourn and weep with those who weep. What then do we do? But the wisdom is one thing. What I'm hoping for our church is that we lean into the health and the innocence. I want people to call the people of the Redeemer when their life is upside down because they might not agree with us, but we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. So they know when their world is upside down, they can always call us. And they can rest in the fact that we might not tell them what they want to hear, but we're going to tell them what Scripture says, and that's what's best for their lives. And in those moments, let us be bold in the way that we proclaim the gospel. Not standing on a pulpit preaching, but preaching the good news one-on-one to each other. So us, now, does your doveness need to grow? Does your innocence need to grow? Are we a little gruff? Are we a little hard edge where people do not feel at peace around us? Ask the Spirit to reveal that to you. Does your striking need to cease or at least slow down for a little bit? Do you need to work hard at loving and understanding and building these relationships? Are we too quick to strike? Or maybe you're too quick to slither. You're too quick to get away from every hard conversation, every opportunity to share the gospel. You don't want to ruffle any feathers. You don't want to make anybody upset. So you just, hey, politics and religion, I don't talk about these two things. You you just back away from every conversation. Where is it in your soul this morning that God's saying, no, 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 Grow in this. 
Grow in your peace like a dove. Grow in your striking or grow in your peaceful slithering. Because just as Jesus is sending out his disciples, he's sending out us. We can be here and pray and worship and rejoice and sing. But in about 30 minutes, we're going to be at lunch. In about 24 hours, we're going to be back in the office. We're going to have an opportunity to grow in this area. We're being sent out and let us not waste that time. So even that, in a moment, I want to pray. And we're going to pray over these three specific areas. But I'm also going to instruct us to just have a moment for us to pray that the Lord would reveal to us who we're to share the gospel with. Who is Jesus specifically sending us out towards? And in that relationship, do you need to grow in your doveness? Do you need to grow in your striking or your slithering? So let's pray. Father, we understand that the gospel must move forward. We understand that you've given us the orders to go and make disciples, to teach the good news of the gospel. And so, Father, first and foremost, would you forgive us for not taking that call serious? God, that you've loved us, that you've saved us, but then we selfishly keep that as the best-kept secret, and we tell no one about it. As we see those who are suffering, we keep silent. As we see those who are thriving, we keep our faith silent. We, we don't speak. That the forgiveness that you've freely given us stops with us. And Father, I just pray that you would convict us all of that. That if the numbers are true, 20 to 25,000 around us that don't know the gospel, the urgency is clear. Let us speak the good news of the gospel. And so specifically this morning, I'm asking for all of us, Spirit, would you reveal to us in what category we need to grow in? Is it our innocence? Is it our humility, our patience as a dove? Do we need to grow in our boldness to speak loudly instead of slithering away? Or do we need to grow in our wisdom to stay silent and just listen in those moments? Father, this is not all for naught. These prayers aren't just in generalities, God. Even right now in this moment, whom are we to share the gospel with? Who have you put the gospel in our hearts for that are in our lives right now? Maybe a, a coworker, a, a family member, someone in our lives that are going through just incredible hardships that we can wrap around and share the good news of the gospel, that we're never alone, that we've never been forgotten. So God, who, who is it? Even right now, Spirit, would you draw their pictures of their faces in our minds? Be as clear as a picture. And so God, this morning as we conclude our time together, Father, I'm, I'm praying that we would all have that picture of the person in our minds that we're to share the gospel with, that we would have a, a growing burden in our hearts that we must, we must, we must be advanced the gospel in these lives. And so I pray for confidence for all of us. I pray for boldness. And ultimately, God, I pray for peace that we know that we don't win anyone to Christ that you give us the words to say, you give them the forgiveness to be had, all we have to do is boldly proclaim your gospel truth. In the name we pray, amen.